I guess being outside in nature to me, especially in the last two years, has become a bit of a necessity, a very, very concrete part of my like day-to-day rituals. I now cannot imagine a day where I don't go outside in some capacity, be that in urban landscapes or rural landscapes. It's something that I have found very grounding and very transient to be in, especially during lockdown and just having the time and space to just go outside and exist in nature. Cultivating Justice, Cultivating Justice, Episode 2. Growing, watering, cleaning my plants, like any activity that just allows me to connect with nature and disconnect from the world even medicinally like there's so much joy in nature like maybe on like a bigger scale i've always been into like hiking and i really like to climb and i like like to swim i guess being in nature has always been a place where i felt at ease and excited and have like a lot of joy For a lot of my life, we didn't kind of have a garden, but my aunt did have a garden and a lot of the time we kind of grew vegetables at hers and we had a kind of small balcony when I was growing up and it would be covered in plants. So I feel like my parents have always been very enthusiastic about nature, whatever that means, whether that would just be going for really nice long walks and just like spending time kind of being still in in the trees or yeah I've always loved climbing trees as well actually (laughs) my parents kind of have a running joke about that that if I just go missing for a bit it's probably because I'm just in a tree somewhere (laughs) growing up in Sheffield I didn't really do many outsidey naturey things with, with my family but I was super lucky to live next door to the sweetest family who were very kind of pro-nature radical guys I love them to bits they're still there they still live next door to my mum and I'm really close to them and they saw something in me this early interest in the natural world and they took me all over the place to all these nature reserves they took me bird watching and really kind of honed my knowledge and opened my eyes to to what was going on beyond, you know, suburban Sheffield. And I'm forever grateful for that. And so my early kind of interactions with, with non-human beings was was with birds, bird watching, and that gave me so much joy as a child, and it still does today. You know, I can be on my allotment and do literally nothing for a number of hours except for sitting on my little chair listening to the birds with a cup of tea and it's the best thing in the world. 
I'm Abby Rose. And I'm Nadia Mady. Welcome, Welcome to, to Cultivating, Cultivating Justice. Justice. Before we start, a heads up that this episode includes discussion of racism, colonialism, and class-based discrimination. Please take care as you listen. I'm Nadia Mady, and I'm the assistant producer on this podcast. I'm also a keen allotmenter and forager and just general lover of nature. And I'm Abby Rose, an executive producer on this series and co-creator of Farmerama, soil advocate and deeply immersed in the agroecological farming world. Cultivating Justice is a collaboration between Land in Our Names, Out on the Land and Farmerama. We're working together to share and celebrate the stories of people who are marginalised in mainstream land work. That includes women, people of colour, trans and queer people, and neurodivergent people. Cultivating Justice aims to build lasting joy and justice for these communities as we resist and reimagine colonial, patriarchal, and imperialist food and farming systems. In this episode, we'll hear about a series of foraging walks for black people and people of colour. And a conversation about how urban gardens can be sanctuaries, healing spaces, and sites of solidarity. Maimona Arafin is a London-based community gardener, spoken word poet and artist. But my main kind of interest is in the world of fungi and also in plants. So I do a lot of kind of herbalism and nature-related activities with people. Maimona has a particular interest in the connections between fungi, social justice and mutual aid. And they're also a part of Misery Party. Misery Party is a mental health and harm reduction collective. Their activities focus on healing for queer, trans and non-binary black people and people of colour. It started off as a sober club night in London. Aisha, who is now also a really like, lovely and cherished friend of mine as well, set up Misery in, I think, 2019, so just before the pandemic. We wanted to kind of offer a space to people which could still be fun and still be joyful and loving and all of these things, but also provide people with a space where they could actually like show up for themselves and kind of by showing up for themselves also be able to show up for their community as well. I really do feel strongly about like having to focus inwardly and focus on your own mental health before you can offer kind of healing for a community or for other people and extend that outwards. There's obviously so much grief and hardship and and trauma ultimately in in this community but that does not in any way like take away from their ability to show up for each other and that just feels so so special and like powerful for me as well. Since 2019 Misery Parties expanded beyond its beginnings as a sober club night and they're now running other activities too. One of them is a series of foraging walks for black people and people of color. The walks go by the name Misery medicine, plant magic. They're basically a series of once a month walks specifically for queer and trans people of colour and black people. Aisha Mirza, who's the founder of Misery Party, was the person that kind of conjured it up in their mind first of all and then asked me and Rashika Ahmed, who's known as Hedge Herbs on Instagram. And yeah, we kind of just really wanted it to be a space for people to 
explore and whatever the kind of relationship with nature was before that we were kind of welcoming people who were beginning that journey or people who are much more sort of well acquainted and knowledgeable about nature already and we wanted to kind of draw metaphors between what the natural world is doing at a particular time or particular season and what kind of emotion that evokes in us and it's just like naming that so we can all reflect on how we actually do feel in that month and it may be sometimes different to the theme but we kind of want to hold space for that as well so the first theme was rise and that kind of felt really powerful kind of reminds me of like the Maya Angelou poem still I rise and so in trees during this time in kind of early spring the sap is kind of rising inside of them I think it was Rashika that suggested that word and it immediately resonated just because it kind of also speaks to the power of sort of like being able to arise after a lot of grief and a lot of loss, but also after winter, which is kind of when people feel a little bit more like they need to hibernate and kind of turn inwards. So rising felt like it was the right way to summarize, like people being able to show up and kind of all come together in, in the way that I feel really lucky that that actually did happen because it felt quite abstract when we were planning it. It feels really joyous for me to kind of be seeing all of the new growth and and blossoms and kind of colours start to emerge at this time um, in April and May. Just really allow people to to check in with their bodies and themselves and then relate that to kind of where we are because each month we're in a different green space in London. So it's kind of like an exploration of ourselves and also a space, a physical space in in the world. The first walk we held in Tower Hamlet Cemetery Park, which I would really, really recommend. We kind of were just walking around in these carpets of sweet violets and then also lots of wild garlic, which people listening might be familiar with. It's kind of quite thick blades of grass that smell very strongly so we foraged a bit of that and it's a forager's delight just now like in the early part of spring you'll see it in woodland places big carpets swathes and carpets in shady woodlands and then once you get closer up it's like quite a wide blade so much wider than any other types of grass or anything else in the environment and it's quite a flat leaf as well and it feels quite smooth it's also got like some kind of parallel lines on it and appointed kind what of we'll day. be doing going forward as well is a bit of a kind of group gathering at the beginning to set some intentions and kind of speak about foraging and foraging respectfully. It's really lovely to be able to explore freely, but also how can we do that in a way that's respectful with the plants in our surroundings and how can we meet them with gratitude and, and not take too much and kind of not perpetuate the idea of kind of extracting too much from nature for ourselves. The importance of having kind of plant medicine exchanges is just to help people to feel that sense of belonging and help people to feel that ownership over actually what they do know and how they do relate to the world and and honouring that and not feeling like actually we have to use, you know, the Latin names or kind of like know all of the, the different plants around us immediately by those names. I think it's it's really just being able to meet plants and kind of recognise them or build relationships with them 
it was really nice last time I just kind of asked people to to have a look around them and then people were kind of bringing me different leaves that they'd found and asking if I could identify them which was really nice but I guess the idea is just to allow people to have that free space to kind of be playful and inquisitive and not necessarily like lectured or taught in any way by me or, or Rashika. There is so much knowledge within this community in the first place and it's just about being able to share that amongst each other and whether that's kind of intergenerationally or in terms of people who have more experience in horticulture, which is quite a difficult industry to get into as a black person or a person of colour in general. We just wanted to make that space available for those conversations to happen, really, to come into a group setting and just learn from each other and be able to share a lot of the sort of knowledge within our community. What we always do is I ask everyone to be silent while we taste the tea. Um, And it's really a way of connecting with meeting this plant or plants that are in the tea and also feeling what the energy of the plant is in your body. So it's something that I studied and that we've all been doing in our practice with herbal medicine. It's encouraged as a way to meet this plant as another living being so that you meet it almost as if it's a new person that you're making friends with. But we always go through this process of like, oh, what's the smell? What does the smell feel like? And then what's the taste? And then hold it in your mouth for a, a little bit um, and see what that, that feels like, the texture. And then once you drink it, where does it go in your body? Do you feel it in any particular part or does it have an effect, a physical effect that you can feel? I think so like the physical even as a relatively privileged brown woman in London, I still feel like it can be quite difficult to kind of actually find spaces where you feel not only welcome, but also like actually free to explore your interests within gardening and not kind of be pushed into a more mainstream, white-centered narrative around what horticulture means or like what gardening is or what our relationships to land should look like. I do have knowledge from my sort of Bangladeshi heritage and from my grandparents and my mom and my my dad are both really keen growers and they always have been and that's something that's been passed down to me and I just feel like it's actually quite rare that you are able to share that knowledge with other people who also come from a, a history of kind of erasure or kind of like that estrangement that people sometimes have with their own heritage because of colonialism it's been a real like amazing process for me as well I think a lot of people have this sort of private connection with nature and a lot of knowledge that they don't necessarily get an opportunity to share with others throughout the day I just had like some really lovely interactions with people who were kind of like very early in their journey of meeting different plants or learning about their properties in herbalism and yeah I just felt really really honoured to kind of be part of that process Even talking about it now, I still feel quite overwhelmed, honestly. And I think every month I'm just going to be really, like, emotionally, like, overwhelmed by how kind of nice it all feels and how, yeah, how grateful I am to be part of such a loving community.
what I really get from Maimona's description and the plant magic walks, what what I really get is this like unbelievable sense of belonging and connectedness. I really love how they talk about meeting plants. And then I also really enjoyed the focus for Maimona on not having to say the Latin names. And, you know, just really looking inside yourself and seeing, you know, what experiential knowledge do you have that you can bring to this plant-based experience, essentially, or this plant interaction and meeting that's happening that doesn't have to be contextualized within the kind of constraints of a, you know, a white colonial interaction with a plant. And how freeing that is. And the sense of belonging that, that they talk about that comes with that that just for me felt so exciting, inspiring and magical. Like it really is magic <laughs> um, of being able to, to connect on that level. It definitely did resonate with me too. I started my foraging journey perhaps four years ago now. And it was completely amazing to see everything around me in nature in a completely different light there was sort of plants that I'd got to know plants that I was still to get to know they weren't just weeds surrounding me on the pavement or country lanes they were they were things that I knew I could use or that could be used by other animals and that that were of benefit to sort of like a a diverse biology um not just me but to to everything Mm, totally and I get I now get really excited about things like plantain you know it's such a common in inverted commas weeds but now it's like my favorite plant because I really love the structure of it and I know that it has a really deep tap root and it's able to just spurt up anywhere and then start to like be drought resistant and plants are so magical and meeting them I think like Maimona says it so well it is meeting them it just opens up like a whole treasure chest of Mm -hmm. of experience I love to introduce people and again that's the meeting like I introduce like one friend to another I love to introduce them to pineapple weed out on walks and just see sort of like (laughs) their minds be blown when they taste this little yellow ball that tastes so tropical it's like it's got no business being in our drab country but (laughs) there it is (laughs) yeah everything's turning up where you don't expect it to and I think that's kind of cool (laughs) springing from something Dissolving to something, transforming together, never consenting to being one thing. Beginnings and endings go on reversing into, out of, into, out of, inside, outside, 
outside. Outside. Inside. 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 Outside. Inside. Outside. That was a clip from a performance by artist Sin Y. Kin. It was commissioned by the Queer Ecologies Collective as part of their Microbe Disco in August 2020. The piece mixes Sin Y. Kin's original sounds and poetry with music from the Butterfly Lovers Violin Concerto and recordings from oceans and compost piles. And what you're hearing right now is a field recording by Amu Gibbo, taken by a canal in London. I feel completely mesmerized by Sin Y. Kin's artwork, recordings, expressions, um, and I really am grateful <laughs> to Sin Y. Kin for creating that and sharing it. It's like somehow Sin Y. Kin captures the experience of dissolving uh, a binary gender in the world. And when I'm immersed in their work, I can experience the world without those boundaries in it. I, I've never had that experience from an, a piece of audio before. Next, we're going to hear a conversation about claiming and creating urban gardens as sanctuaries, healing spaces, and sites of solidarity. Sam Seaver is a grower, a writer, and an organiser with Land in Our Names, or Lion. They're interested in liberation through healing and building resilient communities, and the ways that access to the land and to nature are key to this. Carol Wright is a project manager, community gardener, beekeeper, and proud South Londoner. Carol grew up in Brixton, but she now lives in Southwark. She's a passionate and talented gardener. At the moment, she manages two community gardens in South London. Carol also founded the annual Black Outside Festival. It's a grassroots intergenerational event that supports working class social housing residents, as well as the queer, trans, intersex, black and people of color communities. Sam met Carol at the community garden on Carol's home estate. Peabody Black Forest. The two of them chatted about the links between growing in the city, community organising and anti-racism. Could you introduce yourself and, yeah, in whatever ways you want. Rambling on, people. <laughs> All right, so I'm Carol Wright and um, we're here in Peabody Blackfriars Community Garden. I set this up with the residents about nine years ago. It's the third community garden that I supported residents to set up on housing estates in Southwark. Setting up these gardens is a form of nurturing and sanctuary. 
even though you know local authority housing association call them community gardens they are to me healing spaces because once you step in you just shut off from everything it just comes on you that just quiet the contemplation you can just sit here all day it feels really connected to the land and considering it's zone one London you would never understand the power of that and to just know that you've created a space that people can feel comfortable and relaxed and protected in you know and very rare for black people to be afforded that you were talking a bit about like the land and like something mm. I think about a lot is with London yeah. and yeah. with Britain it's like yeah the history of this land and how yeah. it's so it's such a like violent place in a lot of ways yes. and like healing yeah. the land and like yeah. that sort of like relationship yeah. so that was yeah. one thing I wondered if maybe you yeah because to me this this land that this is on and that this whole estate and on much of this part of London is full of violence and poison this land is poisoned land because there were so many tin factories and tanneries and people just dying through poverty how is it that you can have in a five minute walk from Blackfriars Road whichever direction you go you would have had how many different prisons so the violence is always there and even the first garden, Brookwood, that's built on a bomb site. So we do have to do things to not only treat the soil, but treat the spirit of this land round here. And I feel it. I feel it on here. I feel it when I walk in this estate and this patriarchal housing association. And it doesn't change. It just has a different face. And you think, you know who was here before? You know, it's people who had to say sorry. And then you build these housing associations 100, 150 years ago and you have to be good. There's something about being made to say sorry and thank you when you've impoverished people. And then, of course, how did those people get the money to build these properties? And, of course, we have to look to Caribbean, Asia and Africa. Of course, it's connected to our ancestors. So as we make our way through this land, I can just hear the voices. So I, I look at this very differently when I'm doing these projects here or just relaxing about because you can still feel the violence in how we're treated because it's so embedded and it's ingrained in the soil and this land. You know, nobody in their right mind thinks a tarmac is a good thing to put on the floor for people to walk on. But yeah, it's okay. It's okay because then working class people live there. They're not entitled to touching the soil and being part of decisions about the land and who gets the land. And, and to me, this is the statement with these community gardens. It's important to stand up there and go, I'm standing here. Um, something else I wanted to ask you about um, was... You talked a little bit about being like a black woman, mm. like how that is seen in these spaces. Do you want to just talk a bit more about that? Yeah. First, you're seen as difficult. You're seen as difficult if you are not seen to comply. There's ways that people try to make you feel your voice shouldn't be heard. We can go in the shed, you know. Let's, yeah, Come, let's go in the shed because now it's raining. You'll have all that rain. Tip, tip, tip. Yeah, I could actually nice hear it. Thank you. Do you want your back? Yeah, let me take this. 
<laughs> yeah, we got like tables and chairs in that back end. Mm. Foxes live underneath. Of course. Okay. Local wildlife. Yeah, yeah, they've come there. Yeah. There we go. God, little sanctuary, I told you. Yeah. It's quiet. Yeah, so being a black woman in these spaces, to me, doing these projects is about holding space and saying, yes, I've a right to be here in this community garden helping people to set up these spaces and I know that worries those who consider themselves to be in charge because it's like why are you holding space why are you doing this why are you doing that and I want to be involved and you have to listen to me and it's like no no mm -mm. what we're doing is we have to meet to understand that we're alive we're living and not just existing in these spaces and it's exciting. I get excited by what can this space be? Who wants to come and get involved in this space? What type of music or creativity amongst the plants can we get up to in this space? So we've had acoustic music, head massage, films. It's like anything's possible. And I think that that, apart from being informed by my you know, Caribbean African heritage, it's informed by squat culture, DIY ethic. That's how I grew up. It was painting murals on the squat wall. That was a six-week holiday activity. <laughs> that would be your childminders. So whatever we have in here, we share. It's not about pulling in the money. We can do things. Because when we have cinema, the squatters came out of a local pub with the bedsheets and popcorn. And that, to me, is cool. This is what it's about. So people, oh, I don't want to go mingle with the squatters. Oh, flea bags, all of this. It's like, just behave yourself, you here. Because what you have to understand is possession is nine-tenths of the law, yeah, because you have to look about land rights. Don't matter that we're here in Zone 1 London. You have to look at land rights because you see all those laws against the squatters. What is that? All these acts of violence. So it's okay to die on the streets through hyperthermia then and hunger. That's okay and all these buildings laying empty. And so we have to occupy this space. It just touches my heart. It reminds me of growing up. If we had food in our house, we'd share it with the neighbours. My mum worked in catering in the city. She was a pastry chef. Come a Friday, she would come home with three bags of food. And we knew our neighbours never had no food. So the neighbours would come on a Friday night and that would be our house full and people would get fed. And that just reminded me of growing up like in Caribbean culture, like the partner where you share the money, you pool the resources, and then who needs pulls out that resource. And and to me, that's important. And it's setting up those networks. And that's what I hope happens with these community gardens, is that we pool resources and that we understand DIY culture and radicalism. Because it is radical to say, I'm going to look after myself and I'm going to encourage people to come and stand beside me and hold space. So what I'm about, since going to Jamaica, because I went to Jamaica recently, is that understanding of the land and that family connection, which isn't just about your physical family, your blood family, but the families you make, whether that's queer, whoever. And it doesn't matter all the yatta yatta after Black Lives Matter. A lot of chat chat. But at the end of the day, we want real proof of movement. Mm -hmm. 
not one or two things because we deserve to be in these spaces and hold space and cultivate the land because that's what keeps us whole is the food we eat the people who are with us who nurture us and that's what these spaces mean to me as a black woman maybe related to this actually um mm -hmm. i don't know how what you think about like care and how that intersects because i think sometimes mm -hmm. you know in activism mm -hmm. you're like feeling like you're always fighting against something yeah. and like i feel like yeah. so much of what you've talked about and mm -hmm. what you've been doing is mm -hmm. about like it's not about fighting against it's more about creating mm -hmm. something for and yeah. creating spaces where we can learn to care for things like yeah. nurturing yes. right yes so i don't know if yeah. you can like talk a bit about yeah about i care. think um that self-care is so important because yes, burnout is a very real thing. Because if you think that you're fighting, fighting all the time, what are you actually getting done? You're getting yourself uh, medical attention. That is what you're getting yourself. Do you really have to look after yourself in these spaces, look after each other? There's power in walking away and telling people no. I do know that this year. Some very disappointed people. I'm very happy to be looking after myself much better. And I think it's going and seeing my family and understanding and having more direction in when, where I need to spend what energy I have. But particularly BPOC people have to understand that we are always targeted. You could just be standing still and people looking the argument. So any time I look about community programmes in this garden or elsewhere, it's always got to have a very strong self-care element. I never say, oh, I'm a garden designer or landscape architect. No, I'm here to do something creative which uses greenery as its base and then we take off from there. But the main thing is self-care, always, first and foremost, you know? Yeah. Well, brilliant. Thank you so much. What I got from Carol is like the importance of I'm standing here claiming your space on the land. You know, Carol specifically talks about greenery as a starting point and like claiming space within that living greenery world <laughs> and just how powerful that is, especially within an inner city context and the fact that so many people in that inner city context are black people, people of color. It's a real act of solidarity with oneself and with your community and, and where you've come from and where you're going to. It's like this very nourishing, wholesome experience. And I thought that was very powerful. Again, very moving. People keep moving me a lot in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the, um, the part about being in the city resonated with me as well. It doesn't matter where you are, like land access and greenery is so important and it should be available to everyone and everyone should be able to be within that.
I really also appreciated Carol talking about the family connection and land. And she's very clear that family isn't about like blood family necessarily, but it's like the family that's created through the nourishing on the land and with the land and in, in the connection with this uh, experience of the green spaces and just that word, like that's what keeps us whole. It's the food we eat, the people who are with us, who nurture us. Just the idea that there's so many people, you know, who don't have access to experiencing that wholeness. That seems like a very depleted offering that the city gives to, to many. It's about just, yeah, knowing what you, knowing what you deserve just because you're alive, because you're here. And it's not really based on much else than that. But the access to what we all deserve isn't isn't doled out equally. But it should be. I suppose it's a reciprocal thing, really, for me. I work as a market gardener. So I'm in it all the time and lucky enough to live in it too. It's just quite simply a nurturing space for me. I nurture it, you know, whether that's weeding and watering or just encouraging it to be there, not getting rid of it, not weeding it out too much. And then it nurtures me, I guess in the sense that it rewards observation, sort of takes me out of my head, puts me right in my body, which is really, really important. You know, being in the elements, doing a physical job, I don't see it as mundane, but you know, monotonous work. But you have to concentrate on it, you really have to concentrate. So your mind can't wander, it really occupies you and sort of puts you into a place where you, you know, you hear the birds sing or you notice stuff around you like that. I think that's just amazing. That is exactly, like, where I've found confirmation in myself or, like, kind of switch off this noise in my head of, like, you know, am I this enough or am I that or, like, where do I belong? And, like, when I tap into kind of, like, interacting with growing which is something that I'm learning more about like it's something that I haven't done so much independently but it's just the space that I feel makes sense like it's just like yeah a space that's still and like grounding and yeah rooting I guess the day after that I was diagnosed with cancer I went for a walk in my local park and I experienced the most intense joy I'd ever felt before, um, just looking and being with the plants and trees and flowers that I saw there. And that was 26 years ago. And ever since then, I've drawn great strength from being out in nature and knowing and feeling that I'm a part of this just amazing world. I do find joy in just observing nature all year round, looking at the moon, the stars, seeing the effects, like just cycles. I think 
being observant outside allowed me to ground myself but in the grounding of myself I also can find clarity in the things I'm feeling I learned to climb outdoors and it's something that I think like doing something physical that like moves your body again with hiking that's like kind of strenuous on your body but like feeling the the like solidity of like a rock or like you know like a path or something like that the woods yeah it makes me feel super connected to to something like even when I was walking here like just being in the rain or just like anything I I think I like the physical the physical feeling of being in nature a lot I guess what has brought me joy from those outside landscapes is like being the observer of how the natural world like ticks over and how it functions without human interaction even though there is probably some kind of human interaction but just watching that very kind of natural basic turning of the seasons and those milestones of when like now where the daffodils are coming out and I'm starting to see bees flying around and watching the bear trees become more populated with greenery and dense foliage and to just be able to walk along that and observe it and be present in it has like really brought me quite a lot of joy I think because it kind of reaffirmed my place within nature and made me realise that I am a small human on this planet essentially (laughs) the cultivating justice podcast series is made by sam siever hester russell abby rose Dora Taylor, Katie Revel, and me, Nadia Mady. This episode featured conversations with Maimana Arafin and Carol Wright. And reflections from our chorus of voices. Tanisha Williams, Sasha, aka Mind Your Own Plants, Danny Foster, Dav Singh, Anna Barrett, and Nancy Winfield, along with Maimana Arafin. Clips from a performance by Sin Y Kin. And field recordings by Amu Gibbo. Our series music is by Taha Hassan. Thank you to our funders, Farming the Future and the Roddick Foundation. And a big thank you to everyone who's contributed in any way. Visit landworkersalliance.org.uk forward slash cultivating justice to find out more about the wider Cultivating Justice initiative. 